51 is, Father, we desire to right now just give everything to you. I'm thankful that the kids love being here. They love coming, um, whether it's um, in the classrooms over here, the, the younger kids or uh, the fifth graders with Kendra, the middle schoolers and high schoolers. I'm so thankful that this is a place where they can come and be loved and learn truth because that's two things that the world won't give them. That is love and truth. And Lord, more than anything, we want to get them grounded in the knowledge and love and truth of Jesus Christ, to get them grounded in uh, what your word declares because there's a lot of voices out there. And we know that there's a lot of temptation. And there are those who are desiring to just take them away from the Lord. But even as we sang tonight, we want to be ones that say, I'm going to follow Jesus, and I believe his word. We're going to be students of the word of God, and we're going to stand fast on the word of God. And Lord, I pray that as we go through the scriptures, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, it may not always be pleasing to the flesh, but Lord, to the spirit that is going to fill us and is going to make us healthy, and Lord, is going to satisfy us. And you have the words of eternal life. So I pray tonight as we see uh, these psalms here, written by David, a man that uh, had a heart after you, that it would cause us to have a heart for you as well. So we're thankful for what you're doing here at Calvary Chapel. We give you the glory. Uh, we don't want the glory. We don't want a glory in a name. We don't want a glory in um, anything but you, Jesus Christ and him crucified. So, Lord, um, I pray that you, right now, by your spirit, would be moving in this place, that we would be still. Remember to turn off cell phones and things that go beep, that we'd be free from distractions. And, Lord, that we would be tuned in to what you want to declare to us tonight through your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Psalm 51, this is the fourth penitential psalm of David's prayer of a confession that is given um, after he's confronted with Nathan the prophet uh, after he sinned with Bathsheba. We read in the title to the chief musician, the psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And we know that as you read the story there in 2 Samuel chapter 12, you know the story how it was after David, he committed his sin with Bathsheba. It was the sin of adultery, but also David was guilty of murder as he came up with the plan with Joab. He said, Joab... When you and, and Uriah, who is one of David's mighty men, as you look at the, the names of David's mighty men, you will see there in the books of Chronicles that Uriah was mentioned as one of David's mighty men. And as we see all those, those, those soldiers that were uh, there listed, it was Uriah that had great integrity and, and character as we see that David was dealing with deception when he had committed adultery with uh, Bathsheba. He said, Joab, have all the troops withdraw when you're doing battle, uh, and then Uriah would be killed, and that's exactly what happened. So David was not only guilty of, of adultery, but he was guilty of murder as well. And you also know, most of you, that David hid that sin for almost a year. For almost a year, David, every single day, was dealing with the guilt and the shame of that sin, covering it up, but we know that we cannot cover up sin from God. And that's one of the things that we need to always keep in mind as Christians. You can cover up sin from, you know, your spouse, from your family, from coworkers, from good friends, other brothers and sisters. 
but you cannot cover up sin from God. He sees it and he knows it. And after nearly a year of David covering it up, and remember in Psalm 32 that David, he writes about the blessing of being forgiven. He, that psalm was a penitential song as well. As he wrote it at the time that after he confessed his sin with Bathsheba, and he talked about how sin had taken a toll on him emotionally and spiritually and physically. His bones hurt because he was hiding it. And sin will take a toll on any of us that try to hide it when we're not confessing it, when we're not uh, coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I have sinned against you. And we see here that David is going to express that the necessity of just being able to come to the Lord and confess our sin before him. So here, Nathan, he came to David and he said, David, we got a problem in the kingdom. There was one very rich, wealthy man and he had lots of herds of sheep. And, and what he did is he had a guest. So he went over to his neighbor who had one little ewe lamb and he loved that ewe lamb and it was the only one that he had. The ewe lamb even ate with him. And he took that ewe lamb, the rich man did from the poor man and, and killed him and, and fed it to his friend. And when David heard that, he was so furious. Um, he was so angry. He said, surely that man shall die. And Nathan looked at David in the eyes and said, thou art the man, David. You're the one. You have been blessed by the Lord. And you have many wives. And you took Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and committed sin. And David confessed this sin. And we know that it would be great consequences that happened because of that sin. So here in Psalm 51, we see that David's going to make three requests here. In verses 1 through 7, he's going to say, Lord, cleanse me. Verses 8 through 12, Lord, restore me. And then in the rest of the psalm, he's going to cry out, Lord, use me. So let's begin to look at this most familiar psalm, Psalm 51, a psalm of David. Also, this is going to be, a little side note, the first of 15 consecutive psalms that we're now going to read in book two of the book of Psalms. We read, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions and wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward, inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean, and wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And so as we start out, David, as I mentioned, hid his sin for a number of months, and, and we can never hide our sin from God. And, and in this David is writing that, Lord, that according to your loving kindness, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me is David is pleading for the mercy of God. You see, according to the law of God, David should have been stoned, right? He committed adultery. He committed murder. That was punishable by being stoned. So he is pleading with God's mercy, with his loving kindness. Uh, and according to the multitude of your tender mercies, O Lord. And he writes here in verse 3, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. In other words, in that time that he tried to hide it from God and he tried to hide it from the nation, we know that his sin was ever before me. In other words, how sin takes a toll on you. Uh, 
the guilt, the shame that will take place when you hide sin, when you continue in sin, when you're not uh, open to God and confessing that sin. And it's very important that we understand that confession is something that we need to do as Christians because that word confession is we confess our sins. He is faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that word confession means to be in agreement with. In other words, Lord, I agree with you that it is sin, that it is iniquity, that it is transgression. Sin means miss the mark. Transgression means I know that this is wrong, but I'm going to transgress over that line. I'm going to uh, transgress your law, Lord. I'm going to do it. And iniquity speaks of, you know, all of sin and transgression and, and, you know, the wickedness of man's heart. And he says, you forgive all of that, Lord. But we need to be in agreement that this is wrong, Lord. And it's very important for us as Christians that have that, that understanding. That confession means that, Lord, I've missed the mark. I understand that this transgress against your law. It is wrong, period. It is not making excuses. Oh, Lord, you know, I, I did this because of my boss, you know. He just makes me angry, and that's why I blew up or because of my spouse, or I did this because, you know, I deserve better, or whatever it may be. It's not making excuses. It, it's not just, you know, saying, well, no big deal. You know, everybody else does it. It is saying, Lord, I have done wrong, and I have transgressed, and my sin is before me. It's weighing heavily on me. And so David expressing that as he continues in verse 5, then he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. He's just talking about that we're all born with the sin nature. And as David says, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop is what they would use to take the blood of the sacrifices in, in, at Passover and put it on the door uh, posts and the lentils of their homes as uh, you see hyssop would grow. Whenever you see pictures of the Western Wall and the plants that are growing out of it, that's hyssop, and that's what they would use. And he's saying, purge me with hyssop is what he says. Give me a clean heart. He continues that as we go into verse 8. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities and created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. So he wanted to be cleansed. He wanted a clean heart. Verse 10, created me a clean heart, renew a steadfast spirit within me. And it comes as we say, Lord, I have done wrong. It comes as we confess that sin and say, Lord, forgive me. I, I plead the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse me. And we are clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. But only God can do that. And you see, what happens is I get Christians that will come and talk to me or they'll call me and, and they're being convicted, the Lord convicting them because they're continuing in their sin. And sin, as I mentioned, will take a toll on you and the guilt, the shame of it, the, the conviction that's taken place. And remember this, that conviction that the Lord brings to us, it's always to bring us to God so we can confess it and we can be in agreement. And I imagine when David was confronted with Nathan and, and Nathan said, you're the man, David, you are the one that committed this sin. And David said, I have sinned against the Lord, that it was like, <sighs> like this weight 
that was off him. And I know that David was brokenhearted because it would be later on that Nathan said that you've caused the enemies of God to blaspheme his name, David. And I'm sure that David having a heart after God, that broke David's heart. But just the, the you know, um, just, you know, uh, confessing it and, and, and coming before the Lord and hiding it, knowing that he couldn't hide it from the Lord. So don't take your Holy Spirit from me is what he says. Um, he was so concerned about his fellowship with the Lord. Listen, if you're in sin, it's going to affect your fellowship and closeness with the Lord. And there are those who will come to me and say, I just feel dry. I don't feel close to the Lord. I, you know, um, and the Lord has been dealing with them with a, a sin issue. And they need to come before the Lord and we need to confess it so that fellowship, that closeness is restored. You see, fellowship is different than relationship. Just because you sin doesn't mean you lose your relationship with the Lord. It's kind of like I can call my mom on the phone and, and I talk to her on the phone, we have fellowship, but as soon as I ha hang up the phone, that fellowship is broken, right? But we still have relationship. And then when we sin and we're involved in sin, we're in compromise, that fellowship is being hindered, that closeness with the Lord. And that's why the conviction comes, because the Lord desires to restore that fellowship. And David is saying that I want that fellowship more than anything. That's what he desired. And for that joy to return. And you see, sin will rob you of your joy as well. It will rob you of your joy. So David's writing about all these things as he confesses his sin before the Lord, what he has done. In verse 13, now he says, use me. So first of all, cleanse me, restore me, and now use me. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. And so in this, David was uh, the Lord's servant. He wanted to continue to be used of God. Um, sin had consequences in his life. And sin, as we've talked about going through some of these psalms that David has written concerning his sin with Bathsheba, that there's terrible consequences that follow sin. Yes, there's forgiveness. But David, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go through these consequences with your family, and we see that truly did happen. And there's consequences because of sin. And, and we see that. It just is bad news. It just does bad things. And so here David is saying, I don't want to uh, not be used of you, Lord. And he goes on and he says, I'll teach transgressors your ways. In other words, I'll be able to warn people about sin. Uh, I'll be able to warn others what will happen. And you and I, we can be used in ministering to others saying, don't sin because this is what can happen. This is the, the way of the transgressor, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and it will do you in and wipe you out. So as a loving brother, and you sisters, as a loving sister, I'm warning you, turn away from that sin. And that's showing love to somebody, that we care enough to point out to them that the way that you're going, the sin that you're continuing in is wrong and it's going to be hard and it's going to catch up with you and do you in. And verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. He, he's talking about Uriah, how he was guilty of, of uh, murder. The God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. 
for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. In verse 18, do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem, then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, and then they shall offer bulls on your altar. David's saying something very important that I think is for, for us to consider here. It's a real key in our Christian life. God wants us to have a broken heart over sin. That's what he wants. He wants us to have a contrite heart. Contrite means that it's a penitent heart, a, a broken heart. To be remorse is what it means. And that's what God desires for us, to be able to look at sin and say, this breaks my heart, Lord. This really bothers me because it hurts you. It hurts the heart of God. We don't want to just look at sin and say, oh, no big deal. Everybody else is doing it. You know, boys will be boys. You know, that kind of attitude. No, to look at it and say, this is wrong. And, and, and this hurts the heart of God. And I have sin. And, and being broken before the Lord, being humbled before the Lord, having remorse to bring us to that place of repentance to turn away from that sin. And David wanted his heart to be right with God and then offered the sacrifices of righteousness. You see, David could have just said, okay, I'm going to go through the motions, the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system. I'll go get a lamb, you know, and I'll offer it as a sin offering there at the tabernacle uh, and a trespass offering and be done. He didn't want to just do that. You don't delight in that, Lord. It's, he understood that. But what you delight in is a heart that is repenting to be broken before you. And that's what sh sin should do. It should break us as we see sin and, and what it does, the mess that it causes, the consequences of sin, but most of all, how it hurts the heart of God. And that was David. He, he's saying, then I'm going to offer the sacrifices of righteousness, but to have my heart that is right before you. So a very important psalm is he, he confesses that sin, that it took place, desiring to be restored and cleansed, and then, Lord, use me. I want to have a heart that is right concerning sin. And that's why David was a man after God's own heart, is because he had a broken heart and a, and a contrite um, heart as well, a broken spirit. Psalm 52 reads to the chief musician, a contemplation of David, when Doeg the Edomite went and told Saul and said to him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. Now, here we see when David penned this psalm, he's very upset, he's very angry, and he has a good reason to be because of what we read in 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22. You know the story, a lot of you, as you, we've gone through 1 Samuel, that Saul began to throw the spear at David, and David knew that Saul was after his life, so he leaves. And David, he goes to Nob, he, he goes to uh, see, the, you know, Ahimelech, the priest, and the priest gives him the holy bread. And David takes the sword of Goliath. Well, while he's leaving there, all of a sudden this Edomite, Doeg, is there. He sees David, and he goes and he tells Saul. And Saul was so angry, he was so full of wrath, that he sends for Ahimelech, and he has Ahimelech and uh, the priest of Nod be killed, 85 of them. I think in these psalms that we read how David is writing about how Saul pursued him, we really see the heart of Saul. Sometimes people will read and say, well, Saul, you know, yeah, he did wrong, but it seemed like 
you know, he got a bad deal because the, he wasn't king anymore and God rejected him and it seemed like he did okay. He mostly did everything right. He didn't commit murder. He didn't commit adultery like David did. I've had people kind of make that statement, but Saul did not have a heart for God. And we see that Saul, his heart, what it was really like comes out as he was jealous of David and hated David and he pursued David and he was a violent man. He was the one that spoke lies concerning David and we see David express that, that he was going to hunt David down no matter what. So Saul was so far away from the Lord and here David, he describes that time when this event took place in 1 Samuel 21 and 22 of all those priests that were killed because Saul was so bent on going after David and anybody that dare side with David was going to be put to death or at least what he, he perceived anyone that was on his side. We're going to put him to death. That's how far gone Saul was in his heart and how wicked he was in his heart. So let's read that. We read, why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. Shalah, that pause. You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. So Doeg and Saul, uh, words uh, that they spoke being destructive, and they were ones that spoke lies concerning David. They, uh, they were tearing David up in the words that they spoke, corrupt words, and they were very destructive, and they loved evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. That was the characteristic of Saul as he was king, pursuing David in the wilderness. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about the words that we speak. And what we're going to see in the book of Ephesians here, not in a few weeks when we get to chapter 5, that the Apostle Paul writes, Let no corrupt words proceed out of your mouth, but that which is necessary for edification, that you may impart grace to the hearer. Folks, the tongue, as James writes, is like poison. It can do a lot of damage. And as Christians, we should be building each other up. And let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. We need to be edifying each other and encouraging each other and speaking that which is good and pleasing to the Lord. And so it was uh, Jesus that would say to the religious leaders, the religious leaders came to Jesus and were upset because the disciples didn't wash their hands in the, the rituals like they did. And, and Jesus said, listen, what goes into your mouth, you know, doesn't defile, but what comes out of your mouth is what defiles a man. Because the words that you speak show the abundance of the heart. The words that you speak show the abundance of the heart. And if you're one that's speaking negativity and corrupt words and tearing people down, there's something wrong with the heart. So that was Saul and that was Doeg as they spoke against David, but also that, their violent acts. In verse 5, God shall likewise destroy you forever. He shall take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living, Shalah. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, Here is a man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. David was confident that, that God would judge uh, Doeg and, and Saul and all that were involved in killing the priests of Nod. And here he says that uh, they put their trust in their riches and their abundance and, and not making God their strength. 
they're strengthening themselves in their own wickedness. Listen, we need to have confidence that God is our strength, right? That he's our provision. And when we see that one that perhaps comes after you, maybe somebody at work or somebody in your family that speaks against you because you're a Christian, because you're desiring to do what is right, and they're putting their confidence in their own strength and their own positions and their own, you know, whatever it is in themselves that know that God is able to deal with them. And that's one of the things that we see in these Psalms over and over again, that David had confidence that, Lord, you're able to deal with them. But I want to do what is right. And I want to stand for you and have my confidence in you. And he goes on and he writes in verse 8, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name for it is good. So the contrast, the, the wicked are going to be uprooted. Keep that in mind. Listen, you might think, how are they getting away with it? They're not getting away with it. And that's one of the things that we've seen in these Psalms that David understood that, God, you're able to deal with them. And the one who does right, you're going to be firmly rooted. We need to keep that in mind. Don't take manners into your own hands. Don't be vengeful. Don't think I'm going to get back at that dirty rat, whatever it might be. But, Lord, I want to do what is right and good in your sight because as I do, I am going to be planted. I'm going to be firmly established in you, Lord, and that's what all of us need. Psalm 53, to the chief musician, said to Mahaloth, a contemplation of David. Psalm 53 is identical to Psalm 14, so we're just going to go through it very quickly as uh, we've already made comments on uh, Psalm 14, but the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, they are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. So the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And of course, there are those who come along, they will say to you and to me, I don't believe in God, there is no God. And it is foolish to come to that conclusion. As Paul would write in Romans chapter 1, that the invisible attributes of creation tell us that there is a creator, that uh, none are without excuse, as Paul would write. And then it's the foolish one that, that worships the creation rather than the creator. It is foolish, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They've done, you know, abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there is any who understand who seek God. Every one of them has turned aside. They are together, have become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. Now, this reminds you of something, doesn't it? You students of the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, after Paul says that, he talks about the, you know, the um, sin and um, that the heathen is guilty before God. But then Romans chapter 2, the self-righteous man is guilty before God as well. And then in chapter three right before he introduces the doctrine of justification he borrows from psalm uh, 53 here from psalm 14 that there is none that does good there is no one that is good we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of god we've all gone astray he he paints this black bleak 
picture of the condition of man and then he comes along and gives the doctrine of justification that we are freely forgiven we're saved by his grace freely by his grace we are justified by the blood of jesus christ not by the deeds of the law and we just saw that he wrote the same thing in ephesians chapter 2 right that we were dead in our trespasses and sins you know, but God, who is rich in mercy and his great love towards us, has made us alive because Jesus went to the cross for us. And so here is David understanding this 3,000 years ago. There is none that does good. In other words, apart from Jesus Christ, none of us are righteous. And have the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they are in great fear, where no fear was. For God has scattered the bones of him who encamps against you, and you have put them to shame, because God has despised them. And then verse 6, O oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When God brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice, and Israel be glad. I think verse 6 is kind of an interesting verse, because it's speaking of the restoration of Israel. Here, David's speaking about 3,000 years ago. When David is writing this, Israel is strong. It's united. And he's talking about that they're going to come out of captivity. Um, God's going to bring the captivity back of his people, and Israel's going to be glad. Speaking of that time that is yet future, when the Lord comes back in the second coming of Jesus Christ, he judges the nation, and he's going to restore the nation of Israel. So it's interesting that, that at the end of this short psalm, as he uh, writes about the folly of the godless, he then talks about the restoration of Israel. Psalm 54, that we read, to the chief musician with string instruments, a contemplation of David, when the Sephites went and said to Saul, is David not hiding with us? And we know that this psalm, the Sephites, uh, were in that area in Hebron, which is south of Jerusalem, and twice they betrayed David to Saul. And, of course, God would deliver David both times. So you move into 1 Samuel chapter 23. The Sephites, they ratted David out and told Saul where he was. And Saul was about ready to surround David, if I remember right. Saul had like 3,000 men. And they're about ready to overtake David. And all of a sudden, a call comes out. Saul, the Philistines have attacked Israel. And Saul had to take his men and go and fight the Philistines. So God would deliver David. And that's the time that he, as he prays for deliverance, that God would do that with David. He writes, save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have ri risen up against me, and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them, Shalah. So we see here that the strangers are the Sephites. The oppressor was King Saul. There was no fear of God in the Sephites or with Saul for pursuing um, God's servant David here. And then he finishes the psalm. By in verse 4, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble, and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. So the Lord would deliver David, and, and God would help David and give him a way of escape. And one of the things that I learned so much from David in these psalms, that when we are in trouble, 
that the Lord is the one that makes a way of escape for us. And the Lord is the one that is working on our behalf. But David had a real key here that we need to remember because when we're overwhelmed, can you imagine 3,000 people coming at you? I've had people upset at me, but not 3,000 at once. And ready to do you in? David kept his heart and his mind and his praise towards the Lord. And even in this difficult time, he doesn't understand why is Saul coming against me. I haven't done anything wrong against him. And David is probably wondering, here he is in the prime of his life. And he's being pursued by the king of Israel with all these men. He kept his focus on the Lord and he continued to praise the Lord. And that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? And so what you and I are to do in the day of trouble is to continue to put our trust in him. To know that God, you are my helper. You are my helper. And you're able to deal with those who are coming against me or the situation that I find myself in that is so difficult. But Lord, I'm going to worship you and I'm going to praise you because you are good and your word is true and you're with me and I know that you promise that you will show yourself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards you. So David shows me that in these psalms. And then let's close tonight with Psalm 55. As we go through Psalm 55, it's very likely that this psalm was written during Absalom's rebellion. Remember 2 Samuel? When you go into chapter 15, David's son Absalom, he was handsome, he was without spotted blemish, but through a series of events, Absalom was very angry at his father David. And he stole the hearts of the men of Israel, it says, and he usurped the throne of Israel away from David for that time when he came into Jerusalem. And David had to leave, and he went out into the wilderness. Now that uprising didn't last long, but David is writing this during that time. It was the most difficult time for David. He's hurting, and he's confused, and he probably is thinking everything's falling apart. So let's look at Psalm 55. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and moan noisily because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror, horror, horror has overwhelmed me. And so I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. And indeed, I would wander off, uh, far off, and remain in the wilderness. So David here is, he's, uh, is looking for an escape. In verse 8, I hasten my escape from the windy storm of, and tempest. David experiencing and feeling uh, very great distress and trouble. And again, he must have felt like everything was just going to fall apart. He was going to lose everything. And he knew that his only hope from not being killed was for the Lord to intervene here. Verse 4, my heart is severely pained. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Horror has overwhelmed me in verse 5. These are very intense feelings and emotions. So much so he wished in verses 6 through 8 that he could just fly away or escape from the storm. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like this is such a deep trial, this is very difficult, that I just want to fly away, Lord? 
That's the way David felt. The, how emotional he was, the, the terror and being afraid. I mean, David is expressing that in the Psalms. But David is going to give his trust in the Lord. You know, it was Elijah. I think about Elijah, that, that fiery prophet that called down fire from heaven. And he, he would slew the prophets of Baal. And all of a sudden, word came to him that from Jezebel that, Elijah, I'm going to lop your head off. I'm going to do to you what you did to those prophets, my prophets of Baal. And Elijah got scared, and he ran from the northern part of the country where Mount Carmel was, clear down to the Negev Desert, and he falls asleep, and the angel says, Arise, Elijah, and eat, for the journey's long. And then he goes all the way down to Arabia to the mountain of God, and he's there in the mountain of God, and he's ready to give up. And he's afraid, and he's having these same kinds of feelings. You must be done with me, Lord. And all of a sudden, there was the earthquake and the fire and the mighty wind, but the Lord wasn't in those things, but spoke to him in a still, small voice. It is so important when we're feeling overwhelmed, and it can be very difficult. At that time especially, we need to hear the still, small voice of the Lord. Because the Lord wants to speak to you and to me in those times. When we're feeling overwhelmed, when it, it seems like it's too much, when we want to just fly away, but we know that we can't. And we need to be going to the Lord and being sensitive to hearing from the Lord. And David was one that knew that that's what he was to do. So he goes on and as he's just going to put his trust in the Lord, destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues. For I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around uh, it on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are also in the midst of it. Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from its streets. Uh, David is talking about what's happening in Jerusalem. Matter of fact, one of the reasons that David left Jerusalem is because he didn't want there to be a war that took place in God's holy city. He said to some of his leaders and some of his mighty men, let's go. We're going to leave Jerusalem. I don't want there to be bloodshed that is, you know, in Jerusalem, according to 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 14. And so he leaves. He leaves. He crosses the Kidron Valley. He goes over to Mount of Olives. He heads out into the wilderness. And as he does, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked in the house of the God in the throng. Here David is speaking about a certain individual that most scholars will tell you that he's speaking about Hithophel. Remember, he leaves Jerusalem, Second Samuel chapter 15. You move into chapter 16, and it is told to David, David, Ahithophel has sided with Absalom. And David goes, oh, Lord, he begins to pray that I pray that you would confuse the counsel of Ahithophel and, and Hushai, you need to go back to, to where Absalom is and you need to confuse that counsel. And God would use Hushai to do that. Ahithophel, David is expressing here, he says that you are a man my equal. Uh, if, if it was one who, uh, you know, um, you know, he goes on, but it, it was you. If it was one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, that I, I could hide from him. But it was you. It's like he's saying, it's you, Ahithophel. A man, my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. 
We walked in the house of God in the throng. Ahithophel was one that 2 Samuel tells us that when he spoke, it was like the oracles of God. David loved Ahithophel. He was close to Ahithophel. And I imagine David spent a lot of hours talking with Ahithophel, just, you know, that sweet counsel that Ahithophel was given to him. And I imagine David staying up all night just, just talking and conversing with Ahithophel. And, and, you know, they took sweet counsel together and the fellowship that they had. David, David, Ahithophel has forsaken you. And he's with Absalom. He's with Absalom. David says, oh, no. Hushai, you need to go back and confuse the, the counsel of Ahithophel because he speaks as though the oracles of God. Ahithophel comes to Absalom that night as David is fleeing. And he says, this is what you need to do, Absalom. You need to let me take some men right now and go after David and kill him. And Ahithophel said, I will kill him. I'll kill him tonight. That's what needs to happen. He's tired. He, he's on the run right now. Let me get some of the choice men, fighters, and let me go after David, and I will do him in. I will kill him. Hushai comes along. He says, no, I wouldn't do that, Absalom. I wouldn't do that. What I would do is I would wait, and I would gather all this great army from, you know, Dan, up north to Beersheba down south and have a great army because David's like a mother bear with cubs and you don't want to do that and so Absalom thinks he thinks and the Lord's working and he says who shall I go with your counsel we're going to wait we're going to gather a great army we'll go against David and a few hundred men that he has Ahithophel goes out and he hangs himself he kills himself because he knew that his counsel being rejected, that David was going to have victory. So you think about why was Ahithophel so bitter and angry at David? And as a lot of you know, as you do the studies and the, the and Second Chronicles, the listing of the names and stuff, Ahithophel had a, a granddaughter named Bathsheba. And Ahithophel was so bitter and so angry after that sin for all those years that he says, I'll go and I'll kill David. I'll go and I'll kill him. David goes on and he describes about Ahithophel. He says, let death seize them and let them go down alive into hell for wickedness is in their dwelling and among them. As for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Evening, morning, and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul and the peace from the battle that was against me. For there were many against me. God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from of old, because they do not change. Therefore they do not fear God. He has put forth his hands against those who are at peace with him. He's talking about Hithophel here. Uh, he has broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. In other words, Ahithophel, in that bitterness and anger, planning for war, David didn't know it. He spoke like everything was okay. Everything was good, you know, sweet as butter. You know, he spoke peace, but they were swords. 
and Ahithophel, that bitterness grew and it grew and it grew to where he wanted David dead. And he looked for an opportunity and Absalom was it. And Absalom was bitter towards his dad because he didn't handle the situation like David should have. And, uh, and Absalom was very angry for years as well. So he found somebody that he could plot with and let's take the throne and let's kill your father, David. Listen. That's why the Lord says that we are to forgive. Because if you are not forgiving, even when you've been hurt, and I know that some of you have been hurt very deeply, I don't want to diminish that in your life, that you've been hurt and done wrong either by a spouse or by family or by somebody else. Even maybe some of you have been hurt deeply by the church. And what the Lord desires to do is to bring you to that place of forgiving. And forgiving can be one of the hardest things that God has called us to do because we're not holy in and of ourselves to say, oh, I just forgive you. It is something that we need to go to the Lord over and over and over and bit by bit by bit and day by day by day. And Lord, help me to forgive. But you've called me to because if you don't, you're going to have that bitterness and that anger that's going to grow like cancer. And you're going to get all hung up. You're going to get all hung up in your spiritual life and walk. Ahithophel went out and literally hung himself. And Absalom <laughs> got his hair all caught up, his nice flowing hair in a tree. And he's hanging there in the tree. And Joab comes along, puts some arrows through him. You're going to get all hung up if you just remain in that bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness and I am not going to budge and I'm going to be bitter and I'm going to get at them. And our spiritual life begins to decay. So David's speaking about the hurt that he was feeling because of Ahithophel. And he goes, cast your burdens on the Lord, verse 22, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. And whatever burden that you might have, that you cast it on the Lord. That word cast means to throw, like casting a net. To roll over is what it literally means in the Hebrew. To just give it to the Lord. And, of course, Peter would say in his epistle, cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. And he desires to bring the healing and the strength that you need, that you've been robbed of all the joy and, and everything else because of whatever situation you find yourself in, he desires to restore the years that the locusts have eaten and to work in you and to do that work of forgiven and to moving forward and continuing to have a healthy spiritual life and restored close fellowship with the Lord and joy. But you, O oh God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction and bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days but i will trust in you the lord says vengeance is mine saith the lord why because he's saying don't you mess with it because you can't handle it and we can't so we let the lord handle it and the work in our hearts and to know that he will plan us and we put our trust in him so father we thank you we thank you so much for these psalms that we've gone through and, and psalms that we look at difficult and 
the circumstances that David went through. And Lord, we just pray that, that as we find ourselves being pursued by others or being hurt by others, that the lesson that we've seen tonight is we trust in you and we give it to you, Lord. And Father, I just want to pray tonight. I just want to pray if there's anybody that's here that maybe is listening on live stream or on the coffee shop or here in the sanctuary, that first of all, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. We always give an opportunity for that, that he is your salvation, that he loves you, and none have done good as we've seen, David wrote, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the Lord desires for you to call upon his name and to realize that we are justified freely by his grace, that I'm merited favor of God through faith. And salvation comes as you put your faith and trust in Jesus alone to wash you of your sins because sin has separated us from God. We've all sinned. And Jesus went to the cross to take care of the sin problem. He rose from the grave and he's alive, perhaps speaking to your heart. So if that means anything to anyone tonight, today is the day of salvation for you to call upon the name of the Lord and pray, Lord Jesus, I come to you and I confess that I am a sinner. And Lord, I pray that you would be my personal Lord and Savior, Jesus, because I believe you died on the cross and you rose again and you're alive. And I ask that you would be truly the Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me. Wash me clean and give me a clean heart and help me to live for you all the days of my life. And if anybody did pray that prayer, I want you to just come up and pray with me after the service or call if you're listening on live stream but for us that are here tonight I just pray as we've talked about sin and hiding sin or unforgiveness and bitterness how it just takes a toll on us spiritually and emotionally physically even David talks about his bones hurting and, and, and Lord I pray that we wouldn't hide sin from you that right now, well, we just got a few minutes, every single one of us would present our hearts to the Lord. Is there sin, compromise, that is in your life that the Lord's been dealing with you about? Confess it. Say, Lord, it is wrong. And I want that joy restored into my life and that closeness with you. Don't hide it from him. He sees. He knows everything. Or maybe there's unforgiveness because you've been hurt you've been angered you've been treated unjustly and unfairly just as David was but give it to the Lord and ask him to work in your heart that you're not full of bitterness and anger but forgiving that you don't want that bitterness to, to interfere with your fellowship with Jesus and to remain healthy spiritually. And allow the Lord to do that work day by day and bit by bit. And Lord, I pray for all of us that it is a broken spirit and a contrite heart that you desire just before you 
so we can have the joy of the Lord, closeness with you, to walk with you, Lord, in your ways. So, Father, take everyone home tonight safely.